There are not many times when we can directly tell the date in which a story happened. But today's tale is one of those where we can. My name is Owen Staten and welcome to Time Between Times Storytelling. Welcome, my friends, to this place where tales are traditionally told. Welcome, my friends, to the Time Between Times. I want to thank you so much for sticking with me, for listening and for enjoying these tales all around the world. I am so grateful for all the letters I get, all the emails, all the mentions about those who are enjoying these stories as they are meant to be told. And I'm glad that so many of you are getting so much out of it. I especially want to thank this week Akiko from Abraki in Japan. It's amazing when I think that someone so far away is enjoying these tales. Someone at the other side of the world has been brought together with us to listen to these ancient stories and to lose themselves in a story or a song or a poem. And that is so important. So, without further ado, my friends, let us take the winding path into the woods. Let us look at the sun and the moon in the same sky. Let us realise it is neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey. Let us know that the veil between our world and the fairy world is wafer, wafer thin. So thin that now, just for a few moments, the fairies can reach into our realm and we can reach into theirs. Now is the time that people see lights in the sky. Now is the time that people see fairies. Now is the time that people see ghosts. Now is the time between times. So let me take you back to a snow-filled day on the 29th of March, 1461, to a place in Yorkshire called Towton, where one of the greatest battles in all of the War of the Roses took place between the houses of Lancaster and the houses of York. There was the greatest loss of life in all of British history on one day in these lands. There, in a snow-covered landscape, two armies met for the throne of England. The Yorkists led by Richard Neville, the kingmaker, Duke of Warwick. And there the battle raged throughout the day. The snow was so thick, the wind was so large, the armies could barely see each other. But the clash of swords, the hammer of shields, and the screams of the dying filled the air until at the end of the day, at the time between times, an eerie stillness fell upon the battlefield. The victorious Yorkists walked among the dead and the dying, looking for treasure, looking for survivors, some of them happy at the victory, others devastated at the loss. And there, on his great black stallion, rode Richard Neville, picking his way amongst the corpses. A tear ran down his face, and a messenger ran out of the crowd. My lord, my lord, I have ill news. Your nephew, William Neville, who fought here today, 
has been taken prisoner by the Lancastrians. Um, they have taken him south. They say they will take him right the way south, and if a ransom is not paid, he will be killed three nights hence. I am sorry to bring you this news. Although victorious, Neville was devastated. He loved his nephew. He was proud that his nephew followed him from battle to battle for the Yorkist cause. And one of the darkest things he did on that darkest of days was to go to the house of his nephew's lover. Someone who often followed the armies. Blanche Harriet was her name. When he told her the news, it was like her whole world had collapsed. He said he would do everything he could to rescue his nephew, but in these horrible days, it was more likely that none of them would ever see him again, that he would be executed as a Yorkist and an enemy of the Lancastrians. Neville marched his army south on the heels of the defeated Lancastrians, who were now ensconced in the southeast, the Kent region. There, in a small village called Chetney, near Surrey, they held their prisoners. They made it known that the next night, if the church bells rung at midnight, the prisoners were to be executed in the square, that there would be no rescue, there would be no ransom. If the church bells did not ring, they were to be given their freedom and let go. When these words, when this news, when these tidings came to Blanche Harriet, she knew there was only one thing she could do. She stole a horse and rode south as fast as its legs could carry her, down winding roads, down rushing lanes. She sped, the wind in her hair, the snow smashing against her face as she rode so quickly. Day after day, southward bound she went, until she came to the village. Chetsey was small, small stone buildings, and there in the centre was the church of St. Peter, its spire high to the sky. Guarded at all times, it was the centre of the town. She looked around, keeping a low profile, walking from street to street, until she found that the prisoners were being kept at the local inn. At one point she got to peer through the window, but of William, her love, there was no sign. That night, the night in which the church bells would be rung, she decided to act. She waited for the sun to set and the moon to rise. The time between times had passed, and she crawled slowly towards the church. She climbed over the wall and into the churchyard, the old gravestones all over the place, and she thought for a moment of the amount of extra stones would be needed for all the dead in the sad day of Towton. And she became ever more determined that her love, William, would not be among them. She lay on the ground, pulled herself through the grass, felt the wet dew on her face, till she made herself towards the stone wall of the church. She looked up. The spire was high in the sky. But she was someone who had courage unbound. 
it. Someone with the skills to cramble, scramble up the walls of the church. She climbed on the window, grabbing at the loose stones and pulled herself slowly up as the moon started to rise. At one point, a guard walked around the bottom of the church and thankfully, by the grace of God, did not look up and see her scrambling. Up she went, further and further. At one point, as she crossed from the main body of the church towards the spire tower, she almost tumbled to the ground and her doom. But her strong hands held tight. And in the shadow of the moon she scrambled until she reached a small window right at the top of the tower. She looked around. She knew the darkness was absolute, for now she could hardly see her hand in front of her face. A cold wind was blowing and the snow was starting to fall once more. There was activity around the inn and she could see the lords of the Lancastrians coming out and talking to each other, and then one approached the church. From a high vantage point, high in the tower, as she sat on the windowsill, she watched as he entered the churchyard, approaching the guard at the doorway. She listened, and here in the dead of night, where it was so quiet, she waited to hear what was said. The man spoke in an old, clear voice, full of sorrow and sadness, but also full, full of a dreadful deed. He opened his mouth and spoke to the guard. The negotiations have failed. No one is to be released. I have not told them at the inn. It will be midnight soon. Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Otherwise the prisoners will be released. Yes, my lord, said the guard, turning and creaking open the old oak door to the church. He stepped inside. It was now, it was now that she knew that she must act. It was now that Blanche had it in her mind that something must be done and something heroic at that. She knew she must risk her life to save her love, so she clambered her legs in through the window and saw in front of her the church bell dangling about ten foot from the ledge in which she sat. She looked underneath, and the drop to the ground was more than enough to break her neck and kill her, but she saw the guard making his way up the church, up towards the, the rope that hung the bell. She closed her eyes, and under her breath she whispered a prayer, and then summoning all her strength, she jumped away from her perch and hung on the bell, hung on the bell with all her strength to stop it ringing. Her legs floundered and hung beneath her, the bell moved back and forth, but because she was caught in its centre, it did not ring. Using all her strength, she pulled the bell to her chest. The guard walked underneath, grabbed hold of the rope, and pulled. There was silence. The bell shook back and forth. Blanche hung back and forth as she went, but still it did not ring. The guard pulled the rope again. The bell, with increasing vigour, swung back and forth but did not ring. Again he pulled the bell, then again and again, with more panic as he looked up into the blackness and darkness. And although the bell shook and Blanche swung back and forth, it did not ring.
as her strength was failing, she listened out, and far away at the inn in the centre of town she could hear voices. Laughter, joy, and then horses moving away. Midnight had passed. The bell had not rung, and the prisoners had been released. The guard moved away, summoning help to see why the bell was not ringing, and summoning all her strength once more, she cast herself from the bell, hanging on the side of the wall, and slowly scrambled her way down to the church floor. Now the church was empty, she rushed outside, closing the oak door behind her. She made her way to the edge of town and rode back to the north. Meeting up with William on the road, she told her story, and they were married the next week, and lived the rest of their lives in happiness. But the story of the lady who hung on the bell to save the life of her love has passed down through centuries. In America, far away from the place in which it happened, a poem was written hundreds of years after. A poem that went something like this. As you swing to the left and you swing to the right, remember the curfew must never ring tonight. So hang on the bell, Nelly. Hang on the bell. The name may have changed. The place may have changed. But the tale is still the same. A tale of courage, of perseverance, and of true love. The tale of when Blanche hung on the bell in the War of the Roses many years ago. And that, my friends, is today's tale from the time between times. The time when it is neither night nor day, but the sun has gone and the sky is grey. My name is Owen Staten. I want to thank you ever so much for joining me here again and spending some time to listen to a tale traditionally told. Please remember that I have a YouTube channel called Time Between Times Storytelling. I have a channel for my gaming exploits where I often post videos of um, war games or role-playing games I've played and that is called Adventures at the Time Between Times. I would be so grateful if you would subscribe to either of those, as well as this podcast. If you are enjoying what you hear, please share this with a friend. Please tell someone you know. That is the way we can savour these tales for generations to come, so they can hear them in the way that they were supposed to be told. Also, my friends, if you're feeling really generous, if you go to www.kofi.com, forward slash Owen Staten. You could buy me a coffee and I will toast your happiness with that coffee. My friends, Diochenvaur, for sitting here with me again and hearing me ramble on through these stories. I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoy telling them. Thank you ever so much once more. I hope the next week is good to you and that peace finds us all at last so we may move on and be happy. Dioch and Vauram Grando, thank you ever so much for listening. Take care of yourselves, my friends, and 
no star. Good night to you all.